When the pastor's away, I get to play anything I want on the bumper. It doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. I just like it. No, actually, it has a lot to do. I would do anything, dot, dot, dot. We've been traveling through John with conversations that Jesus has with different individuals along the way. And we're going to look at a man today, a conversation that he has with a, with a royal official. But I wanted to compare it to another story in the book of Matthew. Two men, two different outcomes. Both coming to Jesus in a somewhat similar status. Both were uh, men of position. Both were men who had lots and lots of money. And both were men who had a need. The song that we sang before the offering, I need you. I need you every I need you. These two men came to Jesus because they had a need. They both believed in Jesus. They came because with the need they had, they truly believed that Jesus would hold the answer. So let's look at the first man. We'll find his story in Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew 19, starting about verse, well, not about, let's just start in verse 16. That way you don't have to guess. And listen to the interaction of this man and Jesus. Matthew 19, 16. Now, a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? I, I would do anything to have eternal life. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, he was doing really good checking off the Ten Commandments there for a minute, and then he snuck in that one right there at the end. That's not in the Ten Commandments, is it? Love your neighbor as yourself, but it is a commandment of God. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. So the young man comes to Jesus and probably sits down with the teacher, the great teacher. He had heard about Jesus, knew that uh, this man spoke like no other man spoke. He spoke with great authority, not like the Jewish leaders. And so he came with a question. I would do anything. I would do anything to have eternal life. What do I have to do? Jesus, interestingly, points him right back to God. Don't be surprised when you come to God and say, you know, I have a need and I would do anything to do well here, do well there, have a happy marriage, be a better parent. I would do anything, Jesus. Don't be surprised when he points you back to the scripture. That's what he did with this young man. He says, well, I don't know. What, how do you read the law? What do you, how have you done? Well, in actuality, this man had done 
really, really well. Probably better than, than most men. He sits here at, uh, the, beside Jesus or at the feet of Jesus and he's feeling probably relatively confident. He had done more. His list of accomplishments were complete. All these have I kept from my youth. And that's pretty bold. And perhaps he was very prideful. All these I have kept from my youth. Or maybe he just really had been endeavoring for all of his life and had actually done well to not kill anyone or commit adultery. Or, and he had done well to honor his father and his mother. He had kept these things. But Jesus goes right to the motivation of his heart. He, undermi- you know, he goes right to the values that this man holds. He's, Jesus is not particularly impressed by his behaviors. Instead, he wants to know, he wants the young man to know that your value system, something that you believe inside is, is off. And I can expose it. And here's how I'll do it. Well, good job, son. You only lack one thing. Can you imagine how exciting that must have been for the young man? Wow, all this and just one? Out of all the many things I've done, I only lack one thing and he's going to give it to me and I'm going to have eternal life and this is going to be great. And then Jesus says, go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, come follow me. This is not a good moment in the young man's life. Jesus has exposed that in actuality, he had not been loving his neighbor as he loved himself. It was easy to say that when Jesus asked, but Jesus says, if you really love your neighbor, man with many, many possessions, if you really love your neighbor, you'd go sell all that stuff and you'd give it to the poor neighbors in your neighborhood. He's asking the young man to release what he loves the most so that he would be able to love. If you really want to be like me, if you really want to have eternal life, I need you to release that thing you love the absolute most and come follow me. The young man had no idea that he had an internal and incorrect belief in his system. Because of his performance, he thought he was in good shape. And Jesus opened him wide open and said, no, I don't want obedience as much as I want an inward change. Change your mind. Change the way you think. It sounds a whole lot like when Nicodemus comes. A man who, like this young man, had kept the law. He too could have answered, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus says, well, uh, you know, then... Nicodemus, you only lack one thing. You've got to be born again. What? What's that look like? And Jesus says, it's an internal thing. It's not an external performance. You must be born again. The young man sitting here listening to Jesus, he's having a little hard time with it. Wait, 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 wait. If I do what you've asked me to do, now I came believing that you had the answer. And I asked, and there's what you said. If I do what you say to do, that means I've got to give up my condo on the Sea of Galilee. It means I should probably sell the Mercedes and drive a Toyota. It means no more of those great meals down there at Seasons 52 or Texas de Brazil, oh John Malloy, the spirit of John lives in this room. <laughs> but maybe sometimes over at McDonald's. 
lots and lots of external changes. He has to release the security that he has in things. I feel pretty confident. Look at all the things I have. I can trust in those. Jesus said, get rid of those. Get rid of those. Have a change inside. Let me see it play out in the way you behave. I don't want you to go do a checklist. I want to see an internal transformation that happens to be reflected in the way you behave. There's lots of internal things going on in this young man too. The struggle that says, wait, I have worked really, really hard to get this money. This isn't fair. And give it to them? They haven't done anything. Look at them. They just sit around in the marketplaces begging and stuff. They've done nothing. They don't deserve it. I've worked hard. They don't deserve it. It's not fair. Surely, God, that's not what you're asking. Jesus, you must be mistaken. Jesus was not mistaken at all. He wanted him to make a choice that would involve surrender and then sacrifice. The evidence would be when he would sell it all and come follow Jesus. For this man, an intimate and lasting relationship with Jesus in eternity hung upon his willingness to resolve the inner conflict. And it became instantly obvious that the young man would not do anything to have eternal life. Because he got up and walked away. Sad. It seems so easy. I'm doing so well. I'll come to Jesus. He'll fine-tune me if I need it. Heaven, he may even say, you don't have to do anything, young man. You've done it all. Good job. It was going to be so easy until Jesus went to the heart of the man. I would do anything to have eternal life. But I won't do that. And he walked away sad. And the scripture doesn't say it, but I get the sense that Jesus was probably sad too. Sad for what could have been in this young man's life. Sad for the dilemma that he saw still existed inside of him. Sad that he was not going to, at least in the moment, experience the joy and the freedom that comes with a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus. But in his sadness, Jesus did not compromise. He didn't call out and say, oh, no, oh, no, no, this isn't good. Okay, okay, sell half of your stuff and come follow me. That'd be good enough. Ooh, oh, you're still, okay, sell a quarter. Jesus didn't say that. Because getting the young man's heart was more important than getting the young man's body. I would do anything to have eternal life. And I came to you, Jesus, because I believe you have the answer. This guy's not a whole lot unlike you and me. Last week I had a couple come talk to me for a while. They both say they know and love Jesus. They came to me to help resolve some issues in their marriage. They know I'm going to pray and use the Bible. So they came and I asked people 
especially when I meet them for the first time, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And they tend to go off to tell me how many times they attend church and how often they pray. I tell them, I don't want to know that at all. Thank you. That's routines and rituals. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. So I ask this couple the same thing, and the man says to me, oh, I, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, and, and I have placed my faith in him, and I believe that he is the God of the universe. So, well, that's great. That's going to help a lot with the issue we have, which happens to be money. She wants to tithe. He doesn't. She's been sneaking money behind his back to tithe. I told her to stop. That the command to respect your husband, in this case, overrides the command to give. That God knows your heart and that your willingness to give is only hindered by the decision of your husband. She didn't like that answer, but it's the truth. And then I looked at him, and I said, so you think giving back to God is a good idea? Yes, I do. So why don't we start? Why can't you and your wife cooperate on this? He goes, well, what about the bills? What about the car payment? What about the food? I said, okay, let's, let's go back and revisit something you shared with me earlier. Do you believe that God is the God of the universe and that he can make provision for every need in your life? Yes. Then start tithing. And he looked at me and he said, no. I would do anything to have a great relationship with Jesus and to have a marriage that is in harmony towards our relationship towards God. I would do anything, but I won't do that because I believe that Jesus could, but I don't think he will. And they walked away sad. Okay, let's go to John. Continuing in John, finishing up the fourth chapter. So John, the fourth chapter, starting at verse 43, Jesus has an interaction with another man who is in authority, who has money, who has a need, who comes to Jesus because he believes that Jesus has the answer. John 4, 43. After the two days he left Jesus, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servant met him with news that the boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, 
The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Jesus is in Galilee teaching, probably sitting on a stool. He had opened his ministry in Galilee, for he was, after all, from Nazareth. The, the nation of Israel is divided into Judea in the southern, as you might recall, Pastor Dale's maps, Judea in the southern part, and then Samaria, that bad zone in the middle, and then Galilee, the northernmost country, that, that had cities like Cana and Nazareth and Capernaum, and Jesus was raised in Nazareth, and that's where he had begun his ministry. But he makes a comment, and he says, you know, a prophet's not welcomed in his own country. When Jimmy's raised in Seattle, little town of Everett, and, and he's just Jimmy down the street, you know, and then all of a sudden he becomes Jimmy the great teacher and Jimmy the healer, the neighborhood doesn't want to know it. Isn't that little Jim? who used to cut our grass poorly. So even though Jesus started his ministry in, in Galilee and did the first miracle in Canaan, turned the water into wine, he, he pretty quickly left Galilee and went south into Judea and spent a, quite a while there teaching and doing miracles. And he was there at Jerusalem for the Passover time. After he had accomplished many things in, in the area of Judea, then he heads back up to Galilee. And in the time that he'd been doing miracles and teaching in, in Judea, the Galileans, especially for Passover, they were within traveling distance of Jerusalem. So they came for Passover and they had seen and heard many things that the homeboy had been doing. So when Jesus returns to Galilee, they welcome him gladly. They're excited to see what, what he may do. Galilee is kind of an interesting region. You know, it's, it's really odd sometimes. As much as my wife and I have traveled, it seems like every country has a north and a south. And they don't like each other. You know, the Americans, north and south. The, the Italians, for heaven's sakes. The Italians in the south have nothing to do with the Italians in the north. Okay, the Jews were no different. Those sophisticated folks down there in Judea around Jerusalem thought all the Galileans were stupid and lazy and really kind of uh, troublemakers. They had not a high opinion of the Galileans. The Galileans didn't have a high opinion of the Galileans. Remember when Jesus came to Nathaniel, or I mean when Philip came to Nathaniel, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee says, I think we found the Messiah. You know, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yuck. Stupid. That's the general consensus. And here's this poor royal official. He's on the court of Herod Antipas. He's from Capernaum, which is on the north of, of the area, up the north of the Sea of Galilee, up near Tiberias. Herod Antipas had built himself a palace and, and a, a little mini Rome up in Tiberias that was going to be the, the capital of Galilee. And here's this royal official on the court of King Herod Antipas. The royal official has access to all the doctors, all the best doctors that could be had because he's part of the royal court. 
He's got money because he is part of the royal court. In fact, the word used for him would be similar to chief of staff for the president of the United States. This man had authority, he had standing, he had money, he had access to all of the best doctors to take care of his son who lay dying. And yet when he heard that Jesus was in Galilee, he came right away. Can you imagine how embarrassing that must have been? The royal official from Herod's court begging a peasant, an itinerant peasant preacher from Galilee, Nazareth specifically. But I would do anything to get my son well, to get my son healed. Even beg in front of a peasant. So as Jesus sits teaching, the man is begging, please, come heal my son. And Jesus, instead of, you know, we would expect the Jesus we know to go, oh, yes, I'll be coming right away. Jesus rebukes him. (laughs) Isn't that horrible? Jesus looks at him and says, unless y'all see miraculous signs and wonders, and the word is y'all, he's not talking to him specifically. He's talking at him. But he uses the plural. The crowd's all there to see what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus says, unless you all see miraculous signs and wonders, you will not believe. You come because I do really cool things. You believe because of the signs and wonders. In fact, he made a comment there at the end of chapter, John chapter 2. Many believed after the water turned into wine and other things that he did. And Jesus said, you know, I'm not going to entrust myself to any of you. I, I know the shallowness of your belief. Oh, you believe, but it's really just based on what you see. And so here Jesus says they were coming again to see the miracle worker. Only Jesus is not a miracle worker. Oh, he performed miracles, but he's not a miracle worker. He is God demonstrating the nature and character and power of God in the flesh. And his appeal to them with that little phrase of, you come looking for signs and wonders, is please stop looking at the healing and look to the healer. Because I'm right here in front of you. The rebuke undoubtedly caught the poor man off guard. What did I do wrong? And he just cries out even more desperately, Come now before my child dies. Utter desperation. But isn't it interesting, he'd already predetermined how Jesus was going to do it. Jesus, I know how you heal. I've got it all figured out. You have to come to Capernaum And you probably have to lay your hand or something on my son and you probably have to say some words. So I'm begging you and I'm desperate. Do it the way I know you have to do it because I've already predetermined how God works. Come before my child dies. And Jesus looks at him and simply says, you may go. Your son will live. 
Now, like the rich young ruler, there's a whole bunch of stuff running through this guy's mind at that moment. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Jesus, you don't understand that's not the way it works. See, you got to come. You know, that, that nobody's ever done that before. You, you got to come. That's not the way it works. Wait, wait a minute. Have I just been put off by Jesus? Did he just shut me down? Have I been embarrassed? Did I come all this way for nothing? And you know, he came himself. He didn't send someone. Why did he not send someone? Well, maybe because he thought he'd throw his, you know, royal authority weight around, but yet he finds himself groveling in front of the peasant. No, I think it was, some of you might be tricked into taking no for an answer. I'm going myself because I will not take no. My son will get healed. Jesus says, you may go. Your son will live. Did I just do all this for nothing? Do I look like an absolute idiot now? <laughs> uh, am I an absolute idiot? Why did I come in the first place? And what do I do now? You know that's all running through his head because it's just not working the way he thought it was going to work. And then probably the most profound sentence in that entire passage. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Unlike the rich young man, he did not, this official did not just believe Jesus could heal, but he behaved like Jesus could heal. His faith was not in repeated observable occurrences. Oh, I've seen Jesus turn a loaf of bread into 12 loaves of bread seven times. So I know he can do that. Jesus, we need bread. No, this had never been done before. No one had ever been healed from a distance. There was, this was God doing something different. But he didn't question him. The royal official did not question Jesus. He got up and departed. And nothing happened before his eyes. Nothing. See, in our world, flash, FaceTime. Look, your son's better. He didn't have that. There was no awareness that anything had happened, although something had happened. Okay, later when the servants come and report the good news, he wants to know when did that happen. And they reported the hour and, and he remembered that's exactly when Jesus said your son will live. And that's really important because it wasn't a case of, oh, well, isn't that great? He just got better. Mm -mm, no. But the man didn't know that. He went away not knowing what had happened. So the man departed and it was not long before all he and all his household were very glad, unlike the rich young ruler. I would do anything to get my son healed. Really, Jesus says, then stand up and leave. And he did. There's a young couple in our church who love Avalon Church. They love you, they love the worship, they love the teaching, they just love Avalon Church. When they came to Orlando, it was with a deep, heartfelt prayer, Lord, help us find the place that is our place of service and worship with you and for you. And this is it. 
except there's no work for him. And her job just told her, you've got a great job, all you've got to do is move. And so they traveled to the place that they might move, and they talked and prayed and talked and prayed and prayed and talked, and mostly prayed. And sent me an email last week and said, God told us to stay. I told my boss, we're staying. He let me go. There's two of us without jobs. I can hardly wait to see what God's going to do. I would do anything. Really, Jesus said? Then don't move. And then we'll see what happens. Belief and faith. I believe God. I think you believe God. I think you believe in Jesus, most of you here in this room. But both both of these men did too. And they came with their need. But one said, I would do anything, Jesus. And Jesus told him what to do. And he said, but I won't do that. There'll be no change of heart. There'll be no change of behavior. The other man said, I would do anything to have my son get healed. And Jesus said, well, then do this. And the man did that. And it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And he did not see the benefit of it until he was down the road. Faith is belief plus behavior. You're not saved by works. James makes that clear. Paul makes that clear. But James just clearly says, you say you have faith? Then show me by what you do. Even the demons have faith. Faith is belief plus behavior. The rich young ruler had belief. The royal official had faith. And the scripture tells us that the righteous live by faith. They daily walk out the reality that there is a God who is real and faithful to them. They hear what Jesus says to do, and they do it. Sometimes, even when they can't see the results. Well, you go to chapter 11 of Hebrews, and by faith, there's a bunch of people that did a bunch of things that did not turn out well. And the writer says, but there's a greater reward. See, there's something beyond that. When they get to the end of that journey, they're going to be really really glad. Why don't you stand with me for just a moment? I don't know what your need is. Some might, because I don't know everybody in the room, some might need to have a relationship with Jesus for the first time. The Jesus that says, you're going to hell because of your sin unless you place your faith and trust in me who died for your sin. I'd do anything to have eternal life, Jesus says, then walk down here and talk to someone about it and place your faith in Jesus. I would do anything to have a great marriage. 
Jesus says, really? That's great. Man, have I got some principles and things for you to do. Ooh, wait. I find myself kind of being like the rich man going, but that would mean this and this and this and this. <laughs> well, I'll do anything to have a great marriage, but I won't do that. And Jesus says, well, thank you for believing. But you did not have faith. I would do. I have a need. I would do anything, God. And God says, well, then believe and behave. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. Let's pray. Father, I don't know that we always take you at your word. Uh, we're, a, we're a lot, I would suspect, like kids who like the way you take care of us, like the way you feed us, like the way you provide in so many ways, but also like kids, sometimes when we come and say, I, I need to grow, I, I need, I, I want, and you tell us what to do, Sometimes like kids, we just go off and do it a different way. I'm not going to do that. Lord, one man went away sad. So much he could have had if he had let go. You, you, Jesus, you appealed to him, please let go. Open your hands, put down the stuff you're holding on to, and I'll put incredible things in your hands. Come follow me. I'll meet your need according to my riches and glory. But he went away sad. And Jesus, another man, said, I need. And you said, I know. Go do this thing that seems absolutely stupid. Trust me, get up and walk away. Because I have done something that I have never done done before in your presence. And Jesus, that man went away glad. So you call to us this morning, and we call to you. Jesus, I would do anything. And Lord, if you say to us, well then, step out, step forward, step up. Lord, help us be people that not just believe, but behave. trusting what you're saying and departing from the way we've picked. Father, guide our time. We're going to sing. We're going to ponder. We're going to pray. Work through the aisles, up and down the rows. Stand next to Ryan. Put your arm around Megan. Touch Felix. Help us to take you at your word and move. Arthur, lead us.